Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Monday Morning Deep Dish. I know it's been a little while, but uh, here with me today is Matt Matthew Lucas, the boss man. How are you doing, Matt? <laughs> doing pretty well. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. Uh, doesn't feel, it feels like a, a much weirder Sunday without football. I know, um, and it's also beautiful out in Chicago right now, so I hope, I hope people that are listening had a, great, had a great Sunday and got to go outside because it's the first time it's been like you know, upper, upper 50s in a long time. It's, spring is coming, and, and baseball is coming, and, and hockey playoffs are coming. Yeah, all the all the all the great things. Yeah, and, uh, honestly, <laughs> March and April 50s, are great months. Upper fifties is cold to me in Texas, but uh, I, I've been spoiled down here. Oh yeah, I mean, right now I could probably walk out with shorts and a and a t shirt, and I'd be happy. Yeah, that's just how that's how weird that's how weird Chicagoans are, you know. Because the second it gets above fifty, people are just like, yes, let's go to the let's put our swim trunks on and then walk around the city with our dogs, and it's just everyone's so happy. Yeah. All right. Uh, you know what hasn't spoiled us, though? Uh, the Chicago Blackhawks. Yeah, yeah man. Coming off of a loss against the Detroit Red Wings and who are going against the St. Louis Blues tonight. Um, this, will be, this will come out tomorrow on Monday. So we, we will have seen whether the Blackhawks can defeat the Blues. But if we wanted to quite talk, quickly talk about the Blues, um, our, oh. our stated rival. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is the, this is the first chance to, I think, ever. Uh, I saw something where I think it's the first time they can ever have a season sweep against the Blackhawks tonight if they, uh, if they end up beating the Hawks at home. Um, yeah. But, yeah, just like I, for, as a hockey player, when I watch, when I watch the Blues play, um, I, I really admire their, their work ethic, and I really admire their systems. It seems like they always have two or three guys supporting the puck carrier that always has, you know, maybe a five-foot or ten-foot pass right in front of them on breakouts. They hit everyone they see. They play dump and chase when they have to. They can run and gun when they can and have the opportunities to do so. And it's just, they're just on another level. And it's something that the Hawks, I hope, you know, look at and get inspired at because the way they play on the road is usually the same way they play at home. And they play a hard, gritty style. And it's going to be really helpful for them in the playoffs. And you saw why they won the Stanley Cup last year because they just, every single shift, they hit every single person that moved. They wouldn't stop skating and they hustled as, as much as possible, had 30 second quick shifts and, and their main guys, Ryan O'Reilly would just, he was, is an amazing hockey player. I love watching him. He, he is the centerpiece for that team. Kind of like how Taze is. He's a two way center, yeah. um, but he just has the blues just have more depth right now. Um, they have more depth in the third and fourth lines, the guys that can contribute in the Hawks just don't. And that's, that's the biggest problem right now. Right. And the Blackhawks sort of giving up Cahoon. We've seen now how that sort of has paid, has played out. Although again, Olimad has not been a bad third pairing defenseman. Right. And he's, yeah, I agree with that. I think him and uh, Slater Kuku have actually been a pretty solid third pairing that kind of you know, gives a glimpse of the future, um, future third pairing, maybe next year. But the problem with, with, with Kuku is he's a pending, you know, RFA and Mata's contract, which I think is around, what, what is it like three, you know, upwards like three mil or, yeah, four mil. It's just that's a tough contract, man. It's and there is a, definitely a possibility that you know maybe Bowman might might buy him out in the off season. Um, but I I I enjoy watching their, the third pairing. They're kind of very simple. They just they play a simple defensive game. They they get the puck out off the glass when they have to. They make simple short passes on breakouts to the center or the wing that's kind of down low. And it's it's a they block. You know another thing that I love about Cuckoo is he 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 will block shots no matter if it's a slap shot right in front of his face. And he will dive and, and protect the goalie. And it's just, it's great to see. He's really playing for his next contract. And I'm not sure if we're just going to have enough room for him, though, with, with the caps, with the cap next year. So 
it, it was a great kind of like tryout basis, I think, this season. And I remember maybe three months ago when Carlton was just like, yeah, I can't take him out of the lineup. And ever since yeah. then, he's been pretty solid. He's had you know, a few bad games here and there where he's been noticeably, you know, kind of having a tough game. But other than that, he's you want when you want it, a defenseman, you kind of just don't want to notice them a son. You know, Connor Murphy's like that where you just don't really notice them because he doesn't make a lot of mistakes. Um, right. Slater Cuckoo and Mata have been pretty solid so far. And they could be our, you know, our third pairing next year, but it's just going to be tough with the cap. We're going to have to figure something out. So I think, I think the, the thing about the Cuckoo Mata pairing is that while Mata, Mata contract is sort of high, yeah. Um, I don't think Cuckoo will be that, all that expensive. He doesn't produce no. points a ton. Um, his stats are all like really good possession wise, but I don't know if, if a player gets paid for possession. Um, yeah, but I don't think uh, they're at that. They're, the money ball aspect hasn't really gone too far when it comes to uh, contracts. But I guess, you know, Evolving Wild had that in the summer. They had that, you know, projections for contracts for the, you know, RFAs and UFAs. And they did a pretty good job with, you know, Brittany being pretty close for almost all the contracts. So it'll be interesting to see what they project um, in the summer for, for his next contract. I'm pretty sure he's arbitration eligible as well. So that also will make a big difference. And yeah. uh, wait, is he? Let me see. I'm checking out the – oh, actually, he's not – oh, wait. Yeah, he is arbitration eligible. So that will hopefully bring bring his next contract down a little bit. Um, so right. I, I would I would honestly I, – I would like to – I would resign him. He could be a really solid seventh defenseman, especially if Ian Mitchell's ready to go next season. And, and if you make any other moves, he could be a really good depth, you know, option whenever we need a, another guy to come in that can bring some physicality and just kind of stabilize the third pairing whenever we need to. So I, I would like to see Bowman resign him to maybe, you know, like a one-point – Two five mil AAV, somewhere yeah, around a, that. If it's above one point five, it's hard. That's hard for me to see it. Agreed, agreed. I think one point, like one point two five, one point three five in that area would, would probably be his next contract. But we'll see what when evolving wild, evolving wild takes out their, uh, you know, their next contract predictions. Kind of see what they say. Right. Um, like we, uh, like we said, he didn't, he didn't score his first goal as a Blackhawk until like what a few games ago. Yeah, it was the uh, kind of ridiculous shot from the point that was kind of like a, a flip, like a weak shot that made it through three guys. But honestly, that's how you, that's the one thing I wish the Hawks would do more is just get guys to the front of the net. And just, there's so many initial teams when you watch nowadays, not games nowadays, especially in the playoffs, that's the kind of goals you got to get. You got to accept that there's sometimes you can't make the flashy pass back and forth to Kane and go like bar down all the time. Sometimes the best, the best scoring opportunity comes from a point shot that goes through three guys, tips, like a pinball machine and somehow makes it to the back of the net or, or creates chaos in front of the net. And you know, that Tampa Bay game that completely changed the game. I think it was a tying goal, right? It was like, or maybe it was the, the third goal that gave them a three, two lead. And after that, yeah. that's when the Hawks just kind of just took over. And so right. those kind of goals that the, the blues also score a lot. And it's just, we got to start accepting if we want to be able to play at that level and be able to compete with those top teams, especially if you want to get into the playoffs, those are the kind of goals you got, you got to start scoring. It really does change the outcome of the game. And it really will create some momentum if you just decide just shoot the puck from the point, get bodies in front, and we just and that's why we're missing Shaw a lot. So, you know, he does he was one of those guys that would always just go to the front of the net and wouldn't care if he gets cross checked in the back, you know, a puck to the to the ankle. He he'll do anything. I mean, he he headbutt a he headbutted a, a puck into the net that one time in the playoffs. That was one of my favorite memories of him. Yeah, might might as well. Speaking of the playoffs, what? Where do you stand on sort of the Blackhawks perhaps maybe making it? What 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 likelihood do you see of the Blackhawks um, it off? So, so I think the odds right now are around like I just saw a money puck. Uh, I think it was around six percent, seven percent. I'm sure um, Dom. I think it's really hard for to say his last name, but Dom from the Athletic who does his model 
um, every single day. I think he has them around 78%. I mean, right now, it's, it's basically you need a miracle run. You need to beat the St. Louis Blues, and then you need to go on a – you got to beat San Jose and Ottawa in the next two games. Those are must-wins. And then there's going to be a real tough game against Washington in, in Washington, and, and then you have two back-to-backs against Minnesota. So right now, I mean – Tonight's a must-win against St. Louis. They made it a lot harder on themselves because they lost to Detroit, which should have been a win. But to me, um, as a, it's, I, I would like to see them really try to make playoffs and not tank because I know it's all about you want to get a good high draft pick. But I really think the the development um, of Kirby Doc, Oakfist, Highmore, Nylander, all these kind of younger guys, um, I think would be really helpful for the development if they somehow continue to push through this adversity and maybe just fight to the final, you know, final game. And maybe if you don't make it, oh, well, but at least they, they got a really good um, couple weeks of just hard fought. This is what playoff hockey is going to be like. They need to be ready for that. If they're going to be part of this future team, that's going to, if our goal is to make it back to the Stanley cup finals and be great again, these guys are going to have to learn what it takes to get there. And, right. and, and it, for me, I, I most likely, they're going to not make it. But, you know, there is this chance that, you know, when you have Kane, Taze, Keith, Crawford, when you have these guys that have done it, you know, so many times in their career, they can kind of, you know, lead by example, which what they've been doing the last you know, month or so, they can lead by example and, and, and push this team into the playoffs. And, you know, maybe they get destroyed in the first round. But you know what? I, I think it still would be a good experience for the younger, your younger car, especially to bring Cat, who has never been in the playoffs yet. And he's going to yeah, be a vital, vital piece of our future. So getting him into the playoffs and, you know, kind of uh, – he, he kind of remind, for example, like remember when Panarin had that great year with, with Kane in 2015-2016 and he kind of just disappeared in the playoffs? Yeah. And I think that really helped his career. He became even better because he, he went through that first round kind of like real tough time scoring and, and making things happen. He kind of disappeared in the playoffs. But then when he was with Columbus, he was an absolute beast in the playoffs against uh, Boston and Tampa. So he used that experience, that failure kind of, just to kind of, you know, push forward his development into this kind of stud now. He's, he's an MVP candidate now. And I think that really helped him. And I think right. it would help, uh, help our future core with, you know, Dylan Strom, DeBrincat getting into the playoffs for the first time, you know, Bogefist experience the playoffs. So we'll see. I would love yeah. to see him. I would love to see them make a run for it and not just tank. Um, but it's, it's hard to, like, make a conclusion of whether or not I'd rather have a high draft pick or make them go to the playoffs. It's tough. It's a tough, it's a tough decision, but for me, I think it'd be better for our development and for next year if, if we do continue to push really hard and really try to make it. Right, and and the thing about that is is that they're four or five points down of like every team. So even if they do make this push and they do are are and they come close, they might not even pass anybody else. They passed Buffalo recently, but other than that, they might not pass anyone else. Um, okay. Still end up with a top ten pick. Yep, and and have barely just missed. Um, agreed. Agreed. And that's the thing, like, so yeah, because yeah. the Western Conference is so um, – there's only basically L.A. and uh, I believe Anaheim are the Anaheim. only teams kind of like – and San Jose that are kind of below the Hawks right now. So even if we don't make it, we make this push, and we, like you said, still kind of are just like, you know, five teams in front of us in the Western Conference right now, like Nashville, Winnipeg, um, it, and a few other teams. We will Minnesota. still have a top-time pick most likely. Yeah, Minnesota will most likely have a top-time pick. So it really is a win-win situation. You, you, you keep pushing hard. You kind of grow, grow together as a team. And, and, and if you don't make it, oh, well, you still have a chance of, of the lottery. Like, look what happened last year. We got the third pick. That's probably won't yeah. likely won't happen again, but we'll most likely still have a pretty good percentage of having a top-ten pick. Right. 
And 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 in this draft, you want a top ten pick. Um, oh, it's so deep. Yeah, it's very deep. Yeah. Very deep draft this year. But yeah, talking about Debrinkat and Strom, those those guys who are and and even Kubalik, these guys who have not yet experienced oh, yeah. the NHL playoffs, who are a definite part of the of the Blackhawks future and are a few years in now. Um, that right. getting those guys' experience is necessary at this point. Yeah, I would love to see how Kubalik would perform in the playoffs with, with on a line with Taze or Taze and Kane or something like that. I mean, he's been an absolute stud for us this season. Like, who would have who would have predicted that he would have gone up to probably 30, 30 plus goals this season in his first year in, in the NHL coming over from Sweden or from uh, right. from a Swiss league? You know, he, I thought he was just kind of be going to be kind of like a a little bit better than Dominic Cahoon. You know, like a a better, more offensive, offensively gifted Dominic Cahoon, basically. Um, yeah, but it's been great to see his great to see his development into this kind of sniper. Now he's a top six sniper in the NHL, and he's going to get paid and deservedly so. Right, and all his goals have basically been even strength too. So it's it's a repeatable feat. Right, I think he has. Let's see, I'm on uh, hockey reference right now. He has 25 even strength goals. Yeah, I mean that's that's <laughs> that's an, that's incredible. I think DeBrincat is at very like less than eight. I'm pretty sure. I think he. Let's see. And that's because right. – and, and Kubelik's numbers are in part just because he takes shots. He just shoots. That's uh, shooter shoot, yeah. and he, he's a shooter. Right, and that's why, that's why you know, maybe Debrinkat still has a ton of shots this year, too. He has, like, 200 shots. I mean, he shoots a ton. He's just been getting kind of screwed with shooting percentage and bad puck luck. But right now, he only has eight even strength goals. Yeah, so, and, most, and he, 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 I think he leads the team in power play goals, but he's, he's not been on at, at even strength. Yep. So they have, adding Kubelik to that top six has been, you know, there's been a number of, of reasons why we're still somehow in this race, but he's been one of the main reasons why um, he's kind of taken the, taken the, you know, the ante from, from Dabrinka and kind of been like, yo, like, I'll take care of the scoring at even strength right now. And, and without, without Kubelik scoring these 25 goals at even strength, who knows where we'd be. We'd probably be at, mm, near last place. Speaking of the, speaking of the run towards the playoffs, the Blackhawks will need one real thing they haven't had this whole season, basically, um, to get there. And that's their defense. Their defense has, has stepped it up recently. Uh, shot attempts are, are down at even strength. Shot, shots on net are down. Yeah. But what have, what have you seen from the defense that have made, has made that possible? Um, I think uh, that there's been a transition to really trying to, to keep any type of backdoor plays um, from happening, trying to keep guys to the outside and trying to keep opponents' shots from the outside of the slot, from that high danger area. Um, I think it all kind of started. There was a there was a game against Calgary on that five game road trip. It would be one eight eight to four, I'm pretty sure. But there was a couple instances where you know Adam Bogfist just allowed um, didn't have the right body positioning, and there was just a couple backdoor plays. I think it was a Sam Bennett, which just easy had easy tap-ins. And then the same thing happened against New York, where we just were giving up way too many free looks right in front of Crawford, in front of the blue paint, um, giving easy backdoor plays. And those are tap-ins for NHL guys. Those are easy goals. Um, and I think after that, maybe they they had a practice that should have been, you know, would have been on, on on the ice. But I think they decided to watch some tape. And I think that did, did them a really good. Um, that was great for them. It, it, I think it opened them up to see like, wow, we're giving these guys so many opportunities just to tap in goals and backdoor plays and get right in front of Crawford's face. And I think um, Mata and Kuku have been have done a great job of kind of clearing people off in front of the net. And a big change has just been bearing down in front of the net, taking sticks away, lifting sticks up in the air so that they can't tip them, tip pucks from the points, 
and also trying to get in front of guys instead of letting them dictate their positioning in front of the net. So, for example, like Boakvist was always kind of behind behind the guy or, you know, not really in his way. He, was, he, he seemed to be close to them, which in his mind probably thought, like, you know, I'm, I'm covering this guy. But in, in reality, you're not. you got to get in front of, in between the puck and, and the player that is wanting to get that pass. And I think there's been a clear, clear mindset of, you know, trying to figure out where this puck might be going. Let's look for, keep our head on a swivel and let's try and find guys that are backdoor um, or in, in the slot for an open pass. And obviously we've seen against Detroit, there was a goal for, I think, um, Bertuzzi, who was left wide open on, on in the high slot after like a defensive miscommunication between Doc and uh, I think it was Doc and Kajula. Um, but there's obviously going to be times when there's going to be different defensive mishaps and miscommunications, and that's just part of the game. It's inevitable. But I really do think the last week, two weeks, there's been a clear clear mindset of just clearing guys out from front, letting Crawford take his angle very strongly and come out in front of the blue paint and take his angle from the from the point shot or wherever the shot was coming from, and just focused on lifting guys' sticks and keeping opponents from having those easy, easy tapping goals back door. And it's really helped bring down high danger chances against and also shots against. Right. And uh, with the defensive changes, do you think that's on any potential uh, Eric Gustafson to Lucas Carlson switch? What do you see from Carlson that you like? Yeah, um, that's another thing. That's a good point. I really, I actually really enjoyed watching Carlson play. It's, it's, it's a shame that he got hit in the head with the puck because um, we could have really used him against Detroit. I think he's just been super comfortable coming up, and that's surprising to me because he's, you know, this is his first time ever getting called up to the NHL, and I think he's been in Rock, you know, Rockford's one of most their, one of their most consistent offensive kind of. Um, you know, minus yeah. defenseman, right? Like he's been there for two, three, two, three seasons, and he's always been consistently upwards in the upwards of forty to fifty points each year with them. And I think it just was a matter of time until, until he got called up. And uh, having Eric Gustafson no longer on the roster kind of opened up that spot for him to kind of come in and and show what he's got. And he's been, he's honestly been solid. Like I was talking about earlier, how you know Connor Murphy, you don't really notice him out there that much because he doesn't make a lot of mistakes. You know, pairing him with Connor Murphy has been actually been. At first, I was like, what's going on? Like, why are they doing that? But then now it's just they're moving the puck well. You know, I, I was at the game against the Oilers um, on Thursday, and I was, like, specifically just keeping an eye on Carlson. And his gap control um, was great. He was very confident of stepping up on guys that were receiving passes in the neutral zone. And he gave, made, their, made their kind of decisions have to be super quick. And most of the time, the opponent would make a, the wrong decision and throw the puck away. He was great at gapping up. He was very confident in his play. He, he liked to push, the, push the play forward, and he even got a chance on the second power play unit, which was, you know, long overdue. I'm not sure why Ole Mata was ever on the power play. But he finally got a chance to be with both of us on the power play, and his, his puck movement skills looked great. You know, he made a play to um, Patrick Kane where he was up against, like, two four-checkers, and he made a saucer pass through the neutral zone right to Kane, who then made a perfect pass to Dylan Strom, um, driving the net and I think it was against uh, on Tuesday um, when they won that game against the Ducks it was just a great all-around play and he's been doing that ever since he got called up you know just quiet and and comfortable back there he he makes the right pass he makes tape-to-tape passes and he's great at pushing pushing offense and I'm excited to see what he's got the rest of the season if he can come back from this concussion protocol and just give him another another chance to get up to you know 17 minutes a game and see what he's got for next year. 
Yeah, and uh, like I've been saying all, all season, Connor Murphy just needs a partner who doesn't make mistakes. Uh, he didn't have that most of the Agreed. season. He's been, been having the, he's been the shelter. He's been having yeah. the shelter as part his partner. You know, with whenever if it was Eric Gustafson, um, if it was did he ever did he ever play with Bulkfist when he first came up? I can't really remember. No, I don't. I don't believe. I don't believe so. I think. Yeah, I think so it's just other guys. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, you know Murphy has honestly been one of our best defensemen all season. He's he's been great. Um, yeah. I, I think, and he's only, uh, I think his cap hit is, um, yeah, 3.85 oh. mil until 20 through the 2021, 20, 22 season. I mean, that's an amazing contract, um, really cheap for someone that is potentially like our top defenseman. Yeah. And, uh, and Carlson has, has helped move the puck, but, but again, just putting, putting somebody who doesn't make mistakes with, with Connor Murphy is always going to be a good thing for the Blackhawks. Agreed. Um, going to Boquist now. He sort of stepped up his defense recently. We, we you talked yeah. about that, um, tracking down the guy on the breakaway, making that save. He's sort of become a much better defensively uh, defenseman. Um, yeah, he, he's made like the sort of change we wanted to see out of Eric Gustafsson eventually, and we never saw it. Yeah, I mean, I think obviously playing with Duncan Keith has been an incredible help. I mean, imagine being 19 years old and being paired up with one of the you know the best defensemen in Blackhawks history, and I, and I would say even honestly. You know, he's in the top. He's in, he wasn't in the top hundred for for um, the recent ranking system yeah, that the NHL came uh, out with. At, at the centennial, he was one of the uh, players in the top hundred. It was yeah, him, he's, he's deservedly so. Yeah, deservedly so. He's been so solid, so consistent his whole career, and he's he has so much wisdom to impart on on Boakfist. Um He's just soaking it all up, and they have a great you know camaraderie and just great chemistry out there. And um, Boakfist has it doesn't look like he can move. It doesn't look like he's moving that fast. But his his stride is so smooth. Like you were just saying that that time when he tracked down the puck against the Ducks on that breakaway, it completely altered the game, the course of the game. Right? Imagine yeah. if he didn't, if he did, wasn't able to create that turnover, which then literally started a three on one the other way, which uh, Nylander scored on. It could have been a completely different game. Um, that was that was the biggest play of the game to me. Was him hustling back and making a smooth to lift of the guy's stick. Didn't, didn't get called for a hooking penalty, which was is huge. And and then Duncan Keith like, got the puck in the corner and moved it up for a three-on-one. That completely changed the game. But, yeah, Bokefist says, you know, maybe he hasn't been unleashed yet. You know, offensively, he has so much offensive potential. And I'm sure the coaches have kind of just been, like, you know, focus on your defensive side of the game right now and, and learn how to play defense at the NHL level. Because when, when guys come up from, from the AHL, I've heard this a lot from a lot of uh, NHL guys. I know Jamal Mares always talks about this in his in his post games or pre games on NBC Sports. He talks about how it's a the game is actually easier at the NHL level. And when I say easy, it means you know you have actually you have more time than you think with the puck. Um, and Bogus has been great. He's you can tell that he, he's got that that offensive gift. You know that those two passes that he's made to Kajula and Taze the last couple of games where he just fakes a shot and looks off the goalie and makes a perfect pass on the tape for a tap in. I mean, yeah. imagine imagine when he when he's you know two years from now when he's he got the defensive side of the game kind of figured out and he can unleash his offensive side. Um, it's it's exciting, you know. Yeah, he's he's showing off that that real offensive gift that he has, um, and he's been on a sort of point run recently, where he's sort of been upping his production, and that's been really good. Yeah, and he got maybe like five or six points in his last three to four games. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah he against Edmonton, he had two assists. Against Anaheim, he had two assists, and he had assists against Florida. Um, and he was obviously out against Detroit, which 
kind of sucked when he got those news because he could have roughly helped the power play uh, against Detroit in those three opportunities we had. Um, but, you know, he's, he's starting the, he's starting to gain confidence. There was definitely a little bit of a, you know, a, ba- a step backwards for about a couple of weeks. And that's when, you know, it was just defensive mishaps against Calgary and New York happened. But after that, you know, there, he kind of stepped it back up and he's been consistently pretty solid with Duncan Keith back there. Yeah. He, he and Carlson were both missed against Detroit. I'd say there's two. Oh, ab- absolutely. That's been now. Yeah. So we, we kind of had a, it was kind of sucked. I mean, <laughs> my worst fear uh, was, was what happened on, was ha- what happened on Friday where we had, you know, a couple injuries, guys that were probably exhausted. Dennis Gilbert, you know, traveling all day had to come play. And then um, Nick Steeler, who's been out since I think two twenty five, uh, the February 25th. Um, that was the last time he played before that game. And, you know, it's just, it's just tough. It's tough to um, come into, even in the Red Wings, they're so brutal, like this whole season, but they played a hard game from the get, from the puck drop. They were, it, when I watched them play, I don't know if it was the Hawks just playing brutal on the first two periods, but the Red Wings looked pretty, you know, they were fast. They were all over the puck. They were physical and they were getting to the front of the net and the Hawks just didn't really have an answer because they didn't have Carlson and Bofus who have been really solid at moving the puck forward and pushing the play. And we definitely missed them for sure. Yeah. And then going back to the three missed opportunities against Detroit, it feels like after a little bit of a, of a, a spike in, in, in production, the power play saw where they scored four goals in two games, uh, they've yeah. become the normal power play for the Blackhawks. And that normal power play is uh, atrocious. Um, yeah. Can you so talk, talk a little bit about on, on your feelings about the power play this season? Um, sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, first off, um, the breakout still really, really bothers me. Um, watching as a hockey player, it's just I'm not sure why they continue to try this drop pass. You know, you watch some of these other power plays like the Bruins or the or the Oilers. Even they give the puck to somebody that has a ton of speed. Um, they they go forward as a four man or five man unit, right? Instead of having Duncan Keith kind of like you know stick handle, pretend like he's going to go skate forward with the puck, but the penalty killers know exactly where the puck is going. It's going right to Patrick Kane or to Brinkat on a drop pass. And then you have three other three other guys kind of just standing still in the neutral zone, and there's it's so easy to cover that. And every single time you either like you get Kane the puck, and he tries to make a saucer pass on his backhand to Jonathan Taze on the wall, and then he tries to stop up and like make a off the boards pass to the defenseman to set the play up, but. I would really like to see see them just kind of just skate up with four four players through the neutral zone. So you obviously have a mis, uh, mismatch, a four on three there, because you're going to have the penalty, one of the penalty killers for checking the puck carrier. And you can just make a nice little play, simple pass, five-foot pass into the zone with speed and, and set it up from there. Um, it just it, it's, The breakout has been really frustrating to watch, and I think that's one of the things that we really need to change next season. Um, and then additionally, I'm not sure why it took so long to get Kubalik on the, on the power play and giving him some power play time because his shot is just incredible. The way he can release a quick snapper or a one-timer, and, and it's always most of the time pretty accurate. I mean, that is such a lethal weapon. Look at Pasternak on Boston, how many goals he scored from crazy angles of one-timers just feeding him the puck on the, uh, on the left side for him. That's, right. that's super important to have on a power play is to have multiple weapons. You have Patrick Kane, who obviously – doesn't get all the attention whenever he has the puck. But if you don't have someone that could also, you know, have a legal shot, like DeBrincat was that guy last year, but teams have kind of, you know, caught on to that cross slot pass. So we've had to change things up. Getting Kubelik out there, as well as Taze, as well as DeBrincat, you have four 
and Keith as well. You have four great, op, great, you know, amazing weapons on the power play, and it just is so frustrating. You just can't figure out how to score. You have you have incredible offensive talents on your first power play unit, and it, it really sucks the momentum out of the game so many yeah. times. And and I don't know if it's if it's coaching, if it's a combination of not the right chemistry on the power play. Maybe we like try to give the puck to Kane too much and he kind of just takes over and it's just really hard um, to gain any momentum because he will, will have nowhere to go because basically three of the penalty killers just kind of clog up any possible passing lane that Kane has. And Kane has to kind of try to do it all by himself and make a perfect pass to somebody. Um, so maybe right. just, I remember there was an article, um, this like crazy idea, like maybe we just take Kane off the power play for a couple of games and see what happens. <laughs> right so it's a crazy idea but you know maybe you need to have that change where it's just like yeah you don't always have to give it give it right to Kane and always look for Kane like sometimes it's good to 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 try maybe a, a little play where you have Taze down low and maybe to bring Cat in front of the net you try a little give and go pass between those two guys or you give the puck right to Taze and he just drives the net and looks for someone back door um yeah it's just it just seems like it's a it's insanity to keep trying the same thing over and over again expecting different results um, and it just seems like there was, there was two weeks there where the power play looked solid. We had a couple, you know, conversions and some big conversions like against Tampa Bay and a few other games. But then it kind of seemed like it resorted back to the, the old style where it's just like look for Kane, give him the drop pass, hope he makes the perfect pass coming to the zone, and then hope he, like, does a spinorama or something and makes a you know, perfect pass to someone for a goal uh, on the resulting zone time in the offensive zone. It just seems like we definitely need to have a, a change in mindset next season and maybe a, a new coach that can bring in some some helpful tips because I just don't understand how you could have potential Hall of Famers, not even potential, Hall of Famers. Yeah. Keith, Kane, sure. Taze. Like, yeah. And they just – they're the bottom three in the league and then power play. It's it's absolutely affected our um, our chances at the playoffs drastically. Right. Yeah. And talking about, like, taking Kane off that power play, it's not like they don't have a tool to replace him in Jonathan Taves. Um, right. And they have, they have four guys who can easily – eight four forwards who can easily run the first unit with Taves to bring Kat Strom and Kubelik now. Right. Uh, right. I mean, like, I mean, maybe there's something in Kane's contract where he, where he has to be on the power play, so who knows. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, um, but it's just maybe try, some, try something that for a try game. Something just, else. Yeah. See what, just see what happens. Like, see if the guys, instead of trying to only look for Kane – they start shooting the puck more and have a shoot first mentality. And that's when, when we were, when we were, when we were converting, that's when we just basically just gave the puck to Keith or Kubelik. And all they did was just shoot the puck on net and hope for rebounds or, or create, or created chaos in front of the crease. And yeah. that's how you start opening up passing lanes when people have to respect the shot from the point or that one timer from the top of the right circle from Kubelik. But right. the second you and start giving it back to Kane, it just, when you hope that he can do everything by himself, it just completely shuts down passing lanes. The penalty killers have a much easier job of, of defending. And it's just, it just sucks the life out of the power play. It, it, it just also seems like the Blackhawks have been sort of lenient on high danger chances this whole season, but high danger chances that haven't been rebounds that haven't been like screened. Uh, these shots that the goalie sees easily, unfortunately. Right. Um, and that's, that's contributed to them having like the lowest high danger shooting percentage on uh, uh, in the league. For most of the season, on the power play, yeah, yeah, it, and like that's why I don't understand why is it, like it feels putting DeBrincat in front. It just seems like such an odd, odd coaching decision to me. He's five seven. He's not going to screen many goalies because goalies nowadays are either six or six three and up. And it's just why not put like I know it's a crazy thought, but why not put like a Zach Smith or or a uh, you know, Ryan Carpenter or Dylan Strome, even some guy that 
is a little bit taller, is can be gritty and, do, and, and can sit in front of the net. And that's his sole responsibility. It's just getting in front of the eyes of the goalie because that's how you yeah. create, create chaos. The goalie's not going to be able to see a shot from the point to three bodies. And then you create a rebound or you get some weird tip. That's how right. you're going to have to start scoring. You can't make these perfect plays all the time to backdoor to Kane or to bring Cab where they make a perfect pass and one timer in. That's just not, yes, of course, that's going to happen sometimes, right? You're going to have those great plays open up and those pass lanes open up. But sometimes it's better just to, you know, give Keith the puck at, at the, you know, middle of the, the blue line and just let him just fire a one-timer on that and see what happens. It will, right. I bet you it will open up passing lanes and it will make the flow of the power play so much better. I've also been trying to figure out why the Blackhawks haven't made Kirby Doc a screener yet. Um, yeah, he, he's honestly – He's massive. I mean, and he's when he, when he fills his out, body position, yeah. His, can you imagine him in two years with the development he's, he's already gone through this season? Yeah. I'm so excited for Kirby Doc. I am, that was such a great pick. You know, Bowman's made some, some boneheaded moves at times in the past. But he also got to, you got to, uh, be, you know, like give him some credit sometimes when it's due. You know, taking Kirby Doc instead of Bowen Byram and Alex Turcotte looks like one of the best, best decisions right now. I mean, I guess we haven't seen what Byram looks like in the NHL yet or Turcotte. But to me, honestly, Kirby Doc could have been the first overall pick from the way he plays. Right. He makes he's some been, unbelievable moves. Season. Yeah. Maybe – I think they're all, like, tied around at, like, 21 points. I think Kako and um, Jack Hughes all have 21 or 20 points, and they're all kind of tied for points. But to me, the ceiling for Doc is, is a bit higher. For, bit, bit higher. Um, when he fills out, he's already been so solid at, at protecting the puck in the corners, at, at forechecking and backchecking and, and being super hungry to get the puck back. You know, I just love watching him have that tenacity. It kind of reminds me of Hosa a little bit where – you know, if someone stole a puck from Hosa or like an opponent had the, had the puck moving through the neutral zone and not really paying attention to where the back checkers are from, Hosa would come out of nowhere and just steal the puck. And that's what I've seen from Doc a lot. He comes out of nowhere and he has that strength already at 19 to be able to lift someone's stick, steal the puck, keep his feet moving, and just drive the puck the other way. And um, I, I'm really excited for him. Um, and I think he was a great pick. And I think he's going to be, honestly, he has the, has the mentality and and just kind of like the, the let me see like the characteristics of maybe a future captain for the Blackhawks. Yeah, he's got he's got the personality for it for sure. I'm glad you brought up the host of uh, metaphor too because I wanted to when we were talking about Kubalik's shot. Uh, I think Kubalik is the guy who reminds me the most of Hosa. Yeah, his shot like that quick shot. Yeah, perfect. quick accurate yeah, shot. Yeah, and, and, and Kubalik's a really dominant. If you look at his stats, he's a really dominant two way forward too. Now, yeah, his his, um, his possession stats. What's his Corsi right now? It's fifty point two, and he has a um, forty nine point six off offensive zone start percentage. So he's basically fifty fifty when it comes to starting in the offensive zone or the defensive zone. And he's been, you know, yes, fifty point two. It's just above fifty percent, but right. That's above his start percentage. Yeah. Now, now imagine if he has, you know, you know, this whole season gets, you know, have a great first season in the NHL to give him so much confidence. And I'm excited to see where, where his ceiling is, too. You know, maybe he can become our another 35-goal scorer. And imagine having yeah. Debrinkat and Kubalik and, our, and Kane, who can all score 30-plus goals. That changes the dynamic of the team so much. Right. Especially next season when Debrinkat's shooting percentage probably goes back up to a right. normal rate. <laughs> yeah, to, a nor- to, to not a crazy regression like it's happened this year. Like, having, having three of them on the power play together, too, just – having the ability to pass between them. Open yeah. them, open them back that's, up. It's why it's so 
it's so mind-boggling to, to just, I just can't understand why we can't we can't find the right combination of guys to 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 bury you know just even one out of four times right having a a 25% or even a one out of five times would would make me happy you know having a 20% power play that would have changed our where we are in the standings pretty significantly honestly there's been so many one goal games and so many games where we've missed you know, three or four opportunities on the power play that could have either won the game, tied the game and brought us to OT. And who knows where we would be if we just had a competent power play. Right. And again, we have, the Blackhawks have the tools necessary to have a competent power play. It's all about, it's like, like with most things this season that, that have gone downhill, it's about coaching. I, I would have to agree with that. I'm, I'm not sure how, um, is, is Thomas Middle the, the, the power play coach, Mattel. the special teams coach? Yeah. Mattel, yeah. So they, I think they've they've been weird about defining roles all season, but basically he's power play. Cal, uh, Crawford is penalty kill, and Carlton is even strength, I believe. Well, penalty kill has been amazing. So you, uh, Crawford's been great with that. If he is the the one that's kind of taking care of, uh, you know, making changes on the penalty kill. Um, right. But the power play, like, I'm not sure if he keeps his job. Like, I hate calling for heads on. You know, it's it's tough to do that when you're 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 just an observer. But right, you know, I don't don't the the stats just show you that it's just not good enough, right? And at that NHL level, you that's not acceptable to have you know Hall of Famers and Patrick Kane and Alex DeBrincat on a power play, and you and somehow you're only at what fifteen percent. That's to me, that's uh, one of the biggest reasons why where we are right now in the stand standings is just the failure of the power play. Yeah, that the the failure of that man advantage that has not been an advantage this season. You know, it's been a it sucks the like I said earlier, it really does suck the momentum out of the game sometimes for the Hawks. Right, and that's something that's going to have to change if they're going to make a playoff push to bring yeah. it back to the um, beginning. Yeah, exactly. So if we want to make this playoff push right now, and I think we have what fourteen games left. Um, yeah. The biggest thing is you got to the power play has to be clicking at a twenty to twenty five percent rate if we have any if we want any chance of getting back into into the mix. Great. All right. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to hit? Yeah, I wouldn't mind talking about the the penalty kill a little bit, and just um, I've been really I've been really happy with the penalty kill. There was a stretch there where they went you know fourteen for fourteen, I think, before giving up a, a goal to Fabry against the Red Wings, where it was just kind of like a complete you know defensive miscommunication where Fabry was wide open in the in the slot. But other than that, I think the penalty kill has been one of the biggest bright spots of the season, you know, we're right. in the top eight or nine of the NHL and penalty kill after being 31st in the league last year. Yeah. Crawford deserves a ton of, ton of Crawford. credit for that. If he, if he is the one that's, that's, that changed yeah. things. If he, if, if, if we, if the Blackhawks don't make the power of uh, the, the playoffs, I will be very happy if, if Crawford is the only one retained. Agreed. I agree staff. with that. I agree because besides it, Jimmy it, Wade, this is that, this yeah. is never Jimmy Wade. Jimmy Wade has been awesome with the goalies. I mean, our goalies are could be MVP candidates, honestly. If 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 Crawford continues to play this way, um, it's kind of ridiculous to say that he could be an MVP candidate. But the way he really is the most valuable player on the Hawks right now. I mean, yeah, if he, he doesn't, is. if he gives up more than three goals, we're screwed, right? He's he's given up two goals, I think, in almost eight of his last like nine starts or something like that. Yeah, and the only the only time he's been like. Uh, at three goals, besides the Blues game that he that that Blues that was game was disastrous <laughs> Blues game uh, was Edmonton, and we beat them four three, right? And and there was a and we kept McDavid off the score sheet, so it could have been a lot worse without Crawford, and he made he made some 
unbelievable saves. And like there was a there was a moment I remember watching the stands. It was four three, and there was maybe like four minutes left. And somehow one of the players, I think it was like Ethan Bear, had a wide open opportunity um, on the right side of the right slot that could have tied the game. I looked at my I looked at my buddy that I was with. And I was just like, oh no. And somehow Crawford took his angle super confidently and cut off any possible shooting lane for the guy. And that that was the biggest save of the game. It's it saved them possibly the you know a chance at the playoffs, right? You know, yeah. if we lost that, that game against Edmonton and then lost against Detroit, we'd be done. Yeah, it's true. Uh, and I I think before before the season we there was we we as a site as Second City Hockey sort of freaked out about the penalty kill and um how how like what changes they were making and was it the right one? I think Ryan Carpenter. Who came in? I as I wasn't a fan of Carpenter coming in, watching him in Vegas. He's been a huge help on the penalty kill. He's been a huge factor there. He and yeah. Zach Smith have both been fantastic penalty killers for us. Kajula as well. Like we have a kind of a three when Zach when everyone was healthy, um, we kind of had like a three man kind of rotation, three unit rotation where we had I think Taze and Saad, Carpenter, um, and maybe was it Smith? I, I'm not 100 sure what the exact units were, but it was like these. It was Kajula, Taze, Saad. Carpenter and then and Smith, and also Kubali to a degree too. Yeah, sometimes he was on he was on the penalty kill as well. I mean, I just think just there was a change in the mindset of they wanted to be more aggressive on the penalty kill, where it forces the power play guys to have to make quick decisions instead of having so much time to decide what they want to do. The aggressiveness, um, which is is that something that Vegas does? Because I don't really watch Vegas that much, and I know you do. So, is can you shed a little light on like what they what makes them so successful? The the Vegas Golden Knights use a power kill system. Uh, they yep. try and take away the puck and just force it into the uh, the opposing zone most of the time, and that's why they score so many shorthanded goals. Is that they have forwards who just focus on, well, we're going to counterattack as much as much as possible. Right, and that's the right mentality they have nowadays. Is it's the second because there's so much talent and so much skill now in the NHL. Every player is it, it, it has that you know ability most of the time. There's not a lot of like you know fighters or just complete grinders now. Everyone has that ability to be a two-way kind of skill guy. And if you give them any type of time or any open shot from the slot, most of the time they're going to score. But if you can find a way to keep them to the outside and constantly be aggressive and force them to just keep the puck on the wall and take away any of those passing lanes by being aggressive, um, it, it forces them to make mistakes. And that's like, I, I love that power kill. Um, when you talk about power kill, that's something that I hope we kind of, use for ourselves as as a way to kind of continue this momentum in the next season is call like you know yeah let's just we're a power kill we're gonna we're gonna go we're gonna work our work as hard as possible and take away passing lanes with our speed and we're gonna use this physicality and even though we're a man down that doesn't mean we have to kind of go into the shell and just and just pray that we get like a block shot or we pray that like the guys miss the net when they have that open opportunity i, right. I remember watching the in the past the hawks would just give so much space to the power play units and they would just pick apart our pick apart our guys and it was just it, it, that's why we contributed to that worst penalty kill percentage and wasn't it like the history of the nhl or something like that last season it was atrocious i'm, yeah. I'm sure it was down there yeah so it just it's, it's been great to see the change in the mindset and it's just been a huge positive for a season no matter what happens using that momentum into next season will be huge for us i mean it saved us so many points to the standings and so many losses because our penalty kill has been so great this whole season. Yeah. It's been a huge confidence booster for the guys. It always will kind of hope most of the time when you have a great penalty kill, you're going to get some momentum from that. And it's been, it's been huge. And Carpenter, like you said, has been 
a great addition to it. And he's been, let me look at right now. He's, you know, he averages around 14, 14 minutes a game, but I would say, yeah. you know, a good portion of those 14 minutes are, are spent on the penalty kill. Right. And you, and you and need guys like a, that to be successful. It's a really good use of that three by $1 million uh, deal too. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's, that's, that's really a great deal. Like role is. He's, he's going to be our penalty kill specialist if, if he doesn't get traded because, you know, Bowen yeah. can always do something crazy in the off season, but, um, he, he could be, you know, kind of like our Marcus Kruger um, for the next two seasons where he's just his speci- specialty is defensive zone coverage and, and penalty kill and helping on the penalty kill with the occasional, you know, you'll probably get, you know, 15 to 20 points a season. And that's perfect. That's all we need from him. Yeah. Whatever, whatever production he adds on top of that is icing on the cake. Exactly. All right. Uh, anything else we want to hit? Just that, um, you know even if we don't make the playoffs, you know, I, I really appreciate um, the resiliency that this, that this team has, you know, they've had so much adversity this season. Um, and that's why, and that's why I'm excited for next season. They've, they've, they've had to push through so many injuries to some of their leaders. You know, I know there's a lot of, you know, Brent Seabrook haters, but you know, that guy was so vital to, to the locker room, to the psyche of the team and having, not having him around, not having Kelvin DeHaan around, not having Shaw around for basically the whole season. Um, like that's, that's incredibly tough on a team, team psyche. And, you know, they've pushed through it. They've, they've really impressed me with, with that. Uh, you know, I, I thought maybe they would just kind of like tank at that point, you know, when, when they lost Seabrook, DeHaan, Shaw, when they started like having that couple tough losing streaks, you know, it could have been really easy for them to just kind of be like, you know what? Yeah. Like this is not our season. Let's just, you know, hope for the best and get a good draft pick. But no matter what, they're not going to quit. And I think that mentality, I'm not sure if it's coming from maybe Taze, Keith, and, and you know, Crawford in the locker room, or, or if it's more, you know, from Carlton. But I, I really appreciate that, um, that mindset that we've seen. And it makes me excited for next season because if we have a full roster, maybe this season is the one where, like, we kind of got <laughs> screwed when it comes to the injury bug. And if we can keep a full roster next season – maybe a few changes on the third and fourth lines, you know, who knows this team could be pretty dangerous. Right. And, and we'll see changes in the defense too. Cause again, a full season of Lucas Carlson, a full season of Adam Boquist might do miracles for this team. Right. And also Mitchell in there. Um, yeah. Imagine there's not if me and Mitchell, maybe he can even come, we can see what he looks like in, in April after the NCAA tournament ends. Um, if you, if you can. His season, his season will probably outlast the Blackhawks. But he, if Rockford, if Rockford pushes for the playoffs, maybe he joins them. Right. Maybe he gets some, he gets, he gets some time with Rockford. We can see how he plays because you know he's he's very important to our future, and he hasn't even played a game yet in, in a professional game yet. But he's been he's could be our future top four defenseman um, from the from all the scouting reports I've read, and he he is he's exciting. You know, add him with Bokvist, Keith, Dehan. Um, you maybe you buy out Mata. Um, you got you got a good group of four guys right there. They're kind of build around a defense, and you have Zebra coming back. Um, so you know, I'm 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 excited for next season. Yeah. So uh, and and again, like you you said, like the ability to not give up. That the the fact that they're making this push after basically we wrote them off after the trade deadline. We thought it was over. Yeah. The fact I think I wrote made- this team. I've wrote this team off like three or four times. I think in the last two three months, like there was a game against St. Louis where we gave up those you know, four goals in the third period or something like that. And that's when I was just like, oh, man, this team is done. Like, this is like the rock bottom. And they've had so many of those, more of those moments of, oh, my God, like, this is rock bottom. It can't get any worse than this, can it? And they just find a way to 
turn things around, keep pushing hard and staying professional. And, and that's, like I said, I really appreciate that mindset, whoever it's coming from, whether it's a group of guys in the locker room, you know, a general team mindset, or just coming from Carlton. I think it's, it's been really huge for the, for the younger guys' development to understand that there's going to be adversity in every single 82-game season. There's going to be a roller coaster ride. And the only way to get to the playoffs and to be a successful team is you're going to have to go through those, those seasons at some point. And you're going to have to kind of like group together and, and, and find a way to push through it. And, I, and that's been a huge, huge advantage, I think, for this team moving forward is they've already gone through it um, in a year where they really weren't supposed to make the playoffs, right? Yeah. Yeah. They, 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 I mean, some people had them. I, I know I had them in the playoffs, but they really weren't, they were a long shot if they were. So, yeah. Who, I had them, I had them in the, I had them in the, in the wild card. I mean, that could still happen, but like yeah. right now it's around, you know, like an 8% chance. So it, it'd just be exciting to see, see what they do the last 14 games. Maybe they make, make another run and, 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 you know, they pull us back in and that's great. You know, that's what being a fan's all about is, is, is riding with the up and downs, you know, and just in loving, loving the team that you root for, you know, in, in the worst yeah. times and the best times. Yeah, it's true. Hopefully they're able to beat the blues tonight. Um, yeah. I'm excited and, for the game. And also it's going to be a, a, you know, an all woman, all woman broadcast. And I'm really excited for that too. That's going to be pretty cool. Yeah. To see. I'm excited to see what happens. Yeah. All right. Uh, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining uh, us today on Monday Morning Deep Dish. I'm Shepard Price at Shepard Price on Twitter. I will be back on Twitter in the near future. Uh, he's Matt. He's Matt Lucas. Uh, tell you tell the people where you, they can. Yeah, reach I'm, you, I'm at uh, at Matthew J Matthew J Lucas on Twitter. Um, you know, I just I try to you know at, put some cool stats on on my Twitter and kind of just you know talk about the Hawks sometimes. If you, if you have any interest in, in following me, give me a follow. I really appreciate that. And um, I'm looking forward to kind of just being, being a kind of a voice of the voice of the Blackhawks in second city with the, uh, with Shepard, Brandon, Dave, um, and, Ian, and Ian, um, just for the next, for the future. And I'm really excited for, for our site. And I really appreciate you guys, um, you know, following us and, and reading our stories every day and commenting. It's, it's been, it's been great to see this season and I'm excited to kind of, to continue being the storytellers of, of the Blackhawk seasons every year. And um, I'm, I appreciate you guys being part of it. And we're looking forward to making more improvements for next season or your game coverage and off-season coverage and prospect coverage. And there's a lot of good things in the hopper right now. And, and uh, you know, we'll see what happens. And these last 14 games are going to be great. So join us on Second City, and, and uh, it's going to be a good time. Even if the Blackhawks don't, don't make the playoffs, we'll still be here. Um, exactly. You can, exactly. Follow us, you can follow us at 2NT. City Hockey on Twitter, um, and that'll do it for us. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, see you next time.